Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each Saturday morning at 7.30, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life now your hosts of beyond the business eric cox and leslie haywood and great saturday morning low country welcome to another edition of beyond the business heard exclusively here on 94.3 wsc every saturday morning from 7 30 to 8 thank you to our loyal listener for getting up and tuning the dial to listen to us or if you're listening to us by podcast our one listener our one listener here. Our loyal listener. And I think we have a pretty good listenership here in I Charleston. Know, so I know. we're excited about that. And uh, we hear people are always on the way to the gym, on the way to Lowe's, on the way to breakfast, on the way to something, and they get a chance to check us out. So we appreciate them joining us for great stories of entrepreneurship and leadership from here in the Low Country. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cox. Here with both of our co hosts, Byron Stahl. Good morning. And. I'm Leslie Haywood, and thank you for sharing your Saturday morning with us. And, of course, to continue the fun beyond Saturday morning, make sure and uh, like us on Facebook at Beyond the Business or talk to us on Twitter at BTBCHS. And uh, in case you don't or didn't get a chance to listen to our shows last week or the week before or, heck, four years ago, (laughs) simply go to our website at CoastalWM.com. Click on the radio icon, and you can listen to all of our podcasts uh, again, great stories of entrepreneurship and leadership and just the spirit of what it makes to make business go around. That's right. And uh, what, the past two weeks, we've been speaking to the co-owner of The Refuge on IOP, what, Jocelyn Lamond, And um, her story of entrepreneurship was very inspiring, as always. As they all are. As right? they all are. She started out, though, with an epic fail. She was a business owner for all of three weeks when her partner literally took the money and ran. Um, her biggest lesson that permeated throughout both weeks uh, that she gave to us was do not give up control when dealing with partners. And along those same lines, she said that people make the business. So bottom line, um, make good choices in who you surround yourself with and work with. And I think that's good advice in both business and life. Wouldn't you agree? No, no question. And it's the same. Seems like the same sort of story we hear week in and week out from uh, all of our great entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, one of the two biggest lessons that I feel like I've learned from our shows recently outside of people, it is overcoming adversity. It doesn't matter what hits you, what walls jump in front of you, but just to power through and reach your goals and she overcame one of the biggest adversities. Well, and she also mentioned about personal grief. They lost a business partner not too long, or, uh, too long after um, opening up the restaurant. She said, you have to build a wall around personal grief while you run your business. And I'm sure that resonates with a lot of our entrepreneurs listening this morning, that we all have things that are going to hit us in life. But at the same time, the buck stops with you. And so you have to find a way to deal with that as the entrepreneur. you got a lot of people in life relying on you and that's what makes this so much fun right guys it's the spirit of entrepreneurship bringing that out and uh, jocelyn and your team out there at the refuge doing a great job by the way go by and check them out on a thursday night they have great jazz and really good food so i guess we're going to tune uh turn it to today's show right yeah absolutely who do we have here today eric so we got uh, mr jason bessie here in the studio this morning and jason is the managing partner for corral insurance here in charleston so uh Jason, first of all, thanks for showing up here on a Saturday with us. Well, thank you for having me. 
We're excited to dive into your story. I know you've been around Charleston a long time, so you've got all kinds of good Charlestonian stories that we're going to hear about uh, here in a few minutes. And so we're excited to hear more about uh, your background and what's been going on. But before we do, uh, give us a quick 20-second commercial on uh, your company. Well, Corell Insurance Group is uh, top 50 in the United States, probably in size of uh, income. Um, We are based out of Spartanburg, South Carolina, but we also have offices in North Carolina, and this is the first of the footprint in the Charleston area. Um, Corell has, over the years, acquired other large agencies in the upstate and Midlands and on the coast, and it just, we continue to grow. I was with CT Lounge for two years, or 20 years. I left there two years ago to run Corell here in Charleston, and we're continuing to grow. We're going to try to start maybe opening an office in Mount Pleasant or the Neck area and just organically grow cool. our, our business down here. Well, we know it's a journey. Oh, yeah. And so we're going to backtrack a, a bit. So uh, let's go all the way back to when you grew up in your childhood. Tell us about your childhood and where you grew up. Uh, I grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, I was born in 1972, so I'm old. Um, Miami was a wonderful place to grow up. It was a lot like Charleston is now, the nice, happy medium, beautiful weather, beautiful water. Um, I left, I graduated high school in 1990, was going to go to the Citadel where my dad went to school. He beat me over the head every day saying, you're going to starve to death. They're going to do this to you, that to you. And finally, one morning I woke up two weeks before high school graduation and said, I'm not going to Citadel. It was the only place I applied. Goes, what are you going to do? So I got into Alabama and went to school in Alabama for two and a half years and, uh, just really didn't like Tuscaloosa and wasn't happy there. And I wasn't going back to Miami. So I moved to Charleston where my grandparents lived and my uncle lived. And well, that was the, that's the fast version. We spend <laughs> a lot of time on the whole upbringing. I want to, I want to go back he to Miami. He thought he was going to get off easy. I know. He has to want to give all that part. That's yeah, the dirt. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to talk I about wanna that. I want to go back to Miami. We like to, we like to <laughs> figure out what makes an entrepreneur tick starting from a, a really young age. What was life like in Miami? How many brothers and sisters did you have? I have a sister that's five years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my only sister sibling and what did my, your parents do my dad was insurance my grandfather was insurance okay so we're starting to see the pattern yeah it's insurance family is an insurance family yeah yep. family's originally from cape cod my parent my dad moved to miami when he was maybe fifth or sixth grade i guess and they lived out on keep his game which was wonderful and he'd watch him film Fli- uh, flipper and all the above my grandparents lived out on the key so it was always fun as a kid to go out to the key and Go to the zoo. That's where the original zoo was in Miami, out on Key Biscayne, and the beach and uh, the seaquarium and sunburned a lot. Nobody ever put sunscreen on me back then, so I was bright red. You could see how tan I am. Um, I just always had the gift for the gab, as my dad would say, and had very few enemies growing up. I had friends, played football, baseball. Miami in general was just unique. You saw it all. You did it all. There was no other place on earth like it, at least in the United States. And, I mean, everything from high school, a friend of mine was a DJ for Luke Skywalker, Two Live Crew. Saw them make their albums. Went to Luke Skywalker's birthday party. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> See, now we're getting to the good yeah. stuff, I know. Jason. See, this is the kind of stuff that is awesome. Oh, yeah. So what kind of student were you as a youngster? Uh, I hated homework. I got in trouble for not turning in things that I did. Just didn't feel like turning them in. <sighs> I got in Alabama because I was good friends with the assistant principal because we got in trouble at something as seniors at a playhouse, the whole senior class. So everybody was getting Saturday school. And somehow I made friends with 
Mr. Snay, and I got to work in his office on Saturday school. So then sixth period after lunch, I got to work in his office. So I was good friends with him. And I wasn't doing very good in English as a senior, and I needed to get my grade up to get into Bama. So I went to Snay, and he got my grade up. Teacher wasn't too happy, but um, I wasn't the best student, but. But your sales ability definitely came in oh, yeah. early on in your life. Right? Oh, yeah. so, As me, your dad said, the gift for the gab. Yep. So were you, uh, at that age, uh, were you thinking about the future? Did you have a vision of what you wanted to do when you grow up or very undecided? No, I don't know who does. I mean, I have an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. The 18-year-old wants to be a teacher. 16-year-old is, you know, just brilliant, doesn't do any homework, all AP and honors. And I don't really know. We were talking about it earlier. I really don't know what she wants to do. And I have a 25-year-old. That wanted to go to medical school and this and that. Now she's uh, she's been gonna, she's applied to be a teaching assistant. She's gotten into Minnesota. She's applied to Michigan State. She's got into Penn, and it's just about who's going to give her the most money in the five year contract. But I don't know honestly any sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old that so, I know. So maybe mine's a no. My five year old knows exactly what he wants to be when he grows up. Football player, right? Oh, no. Luke Skywalker. Oh. So, let's see. <laughs> the got, other Luke Skywalker. That's the other Luke Skywalker. Oh, okay. Not, not the other one. Not is... the two live crew. Oh, I Luke love Skywalker. that. Yeah, that's that a crew. fun one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so your your parents were at insurance. Did you work with them at all growing up? What was your exposure to the world of insurance when you were younger? Um, I would go in with my, my dad to his office. The name of their agency was Stimler Adams & Suite. It was the largest personnel agency in the state of Florida at, at one point in time. And um, it was bought by Aetna and before Aetna got out of the PNC business, and it sort of ran into the ground. Um, but as a kid, you know, I'd go in on a Saturday, and it was miserable, and listen to my dad use his dictaphone and go through files for the secretaries to type the next week, and um, insurance policies handwritten. But I didn't, I really didn't understand it, and I didn't ask to understand it. I just know that it provided for my family. And I looked up to my dad and my grandfather, and, you know, they insured parts of the University of Miami, the original Burger Kings in Miami. So things like that is all that I knew about insurance. I didn't understand the concept of insurance, you know. But if you want to know how I got in the insurance business, I was working in food and beverage in, in Charleston at Wild Wing Cafe. And We're going to get to that. Okay. okay. Yeah. You, you keep trying to skip by. I know that no, 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 there no. must be a story somewhere embedded in this. I know. And I Leslie know. is the one to well, bring no, it up. And, I, and I'm curious. Now we, I do want to talk about the, the Citadel thing that didn't happen. Um, and how did your family react to that? And what did you think you were going to go to the Citadel for? Well, my father um, was a good high school football player. And he went to the Citadel to play football in 66. And I always, as a kid, when I'd come to Charleston, I'd always want to go down the Citadel and look at the airplanes and the tanks and go in the canteen and the bowling alley and, you know, look at the barracks and stuff. And I always, I just always liked it. I liked their colors. I, Citadel was all I ever thought about. Really, if I thought about school, it would have been the Citadel. And um, my dad just, it was the only place I applied. Again, I had to squeak in. He had to know somebody to get in, and I got in. Um, but he just constantly, you know, they're going to starve you to death. You know, it's hot. There's no air condition and blah, 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 and on and on. And all my friends are going to Florida State, Florida, and Bama, and Georgia. We're sitting at the dinner table one afternoon. I said, I'm not going to Citadel. But, you know, he didn't think I'd say that. I said, I'm not going. The next day, Mom went and bought one of those big books that lists all the schools. And I applied to ACC and SEC schools. And I got into Alabama two days later with my grade fixing. 
<laughs> so what was the experience at the uh, University of Alabama like for you? Miserable. You know, you come from Miami, Florida, and you get into the interior south where you might not see the sun from January until April. You know, we live in Charleston where a front blows through in the wintertime and it clears out. I Literally, my freshman year, I did not see the sun from January until March to the point that it really mentally affected me. Mm-hmm. And I went to the, the student medical center and talked to a psychologist. She said, you're from Miami. You you're, you have cabin fever. So I went home for a week. Wow, how about now? Yeah, that's we often hear that. So you mentioned earlier that you got to Alabama within two days. That's pretty impressive. Got it. My mom FedExed. I guess the the application's yeah, off. Uh, and... Probably the most efficient uh, acceptance into a college I've ever heard. So uh, let's dive a little bit deeper into your time at Alabama. What was your major? Were you involved in athletics or in a fraternity? You were. I was a business major. I uh, did the fraternity thing. I have a real problem with somebody younger than me and shorter than me telling me what to do. That was another thing that probably would have affected me at the Citadel. You know, I don't like ultimatums. And the Greek thing was, I don't know, you know, somebody picking on you or, or not maybe necessarily picking on me, somebody else, the hazing, just stupid. And I just wasn't into it. Um, I just, I was a business major, I guess. Like I said, I didn't do very well at school. The cabin fever thing didn't help very much. And, I just didn't like Tuscaloosa. It just, you know, it just didn't fit from day one. It was too small. Everybody knew your business before you knew your business, and just, it just didn't jive with me. And so, did you wind up getting a degree there? No, I never finished school. Never I was going to come school? back and go to the Citadel, actually. And I started thinking about that. And I said, "Now I'm going to let somebody." I've been out of high school for two years, and I'm going to let somebody, you know, younger than me, mm-hmm. tell me what to do. And I just so then I looked at. Uh, I did some Trident stuff, and I was looking at transferring maybe to the College of Charleston. But back then, Alabama was on semesters, and I think College of Charleston was on quarters, so a lot of things didn't transfer. So it was basically like starting over again. Right. And I just said, well, I'm not doing that. I mean, I'll make my way through life without doing that. And I never got a degree. And Mm -hmm. like my dad said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's true. Just sort of. Very valuable lesson to learn early, right? So, by the way, in case you just joined us, that voice you're listening to is that of uh, Mr. Jason Bessie, who is a managing partner with Corel Insurance Group here in Charleston. And so, Jason, here you are at this point, uh, the story back in Charleston, deciding you're not going to go to school at this time. Uh, Where did the path lead you from that point? Food and beverage. Like many of us, right? Yeah. yeah. I uh, lived with my uncle for about two months in North Charleston and I made friends and moved out to the Isle of Palms and downtown and so on and so forth. I started working at the Banana Cabana, which sadly is closed. Just closed here. Yeah. yeah. In 93. And that was my first stint in food and beverage in Charleston. And I went from there to the Mills house, worked breakfast down there. And that was miserable. You know, stay at the Windjammer till two in the morning. Got to be at the Mills house at five in the morning. That was, there were some rough mornings. And then, um, I got into Wild Wing and back then Wild Wing was very tough to, to get hired at because everybody wanted to work there. Two hour waits. And they only had the one uh, restaurant location on King Street that time. Was they that had, well, they had uh, Hilton Head was the first. Right. and the, But the only Charleston, the second location was downtown on Market Street. And uh, I got into food and beverage and did that for a while, bartended, waited tables. We made good money. We really, really did. And that's where I met my spouse. That, but uh, um, I met I met Sybil down there and my little Madeline, who's my stepdaughter, who's 25 now. And I loved working food and beverage, but the hours weren't conducive for um, 
a two and a half year old and a girlfriend and Sybil gave me the ultimatum. I said, what am I going to do? I thought about it. I said, well, my grandfather did well in insurance. My dad's done well in insurance. And I picked up a phone book back in the yellow pages and started at A's and just started down the call on agencies. And I got to C for CT Lounge, who I worked for for a long time. I got Billy Socox on the phone, love him to death, like second dad. And he said, why don't you come on in? We're looking for somebody to, to do marketing. I said, okay. And our business marketing is you go, you want something quoted, you give me the information, and then I send it to the carriers and come back for the best quote for you. So I took a caliper and I blew it out of the park, I guess, for what they said on the sales side of it. So they made me a salesperson. And I started commission only. And I went gangbusters the first three months. And sometimes it takes commissions a while to come in. And I remember, like yesterday, I had a beeper back then. And uh, <clears throat> Billy beat me. And I went down to the payphone in the hallway at Wild Wing. It was like a Wednesday. I was working during the day. He said, where are you at, fella? I said, I'm working. He said, where are you working? I said, I'm at Wild Wing. And he said, you're supposed to be working for us. I said, I'm out of money. I said, I've written all this business, and I have not gotten the first check. Well, me and Henry are going to Columbia tomorrow. We'll talk about it. They talked about it. Mike, they come back, and I was the first one on salary, $18,000 a year. You'd have thought it was a million. I was so happy because I had, I knew what I had coming in. And once I had that freedom and I knew what I had coming in, it was off to the races. Comfortable. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, when you were working in Food and Bev, is there anything or any lessons that you learned that you applied to starting out in the insurance business? Um, I guess I would say the biggest thing would be all the personalities that you dealt with, waiting on them, serving them. And the personalities in the kitchen and the personalities at the bar and the personalities on the line. And I just, I think in general, it just built such, such a strong bond between all of us there that that's gone further down the road with people that I work with now. But the personalities that you dealt with, I knew regulars, what they wanted to drink and how they wanted it, how they wanted their wings, how they wanted their sandwich. Um, two for Tuesday, you know, it just, it, it. I just learned different personalities and learned how to become a chameleon, I guess, is the best way to put it. I, and so we sort of debate sometimes in here about nature versus nurture. You know, is an entrepreneur born or are they made into an entrepreneur? Do you think uh, for you, uh, Jason, that skill set is something that you were born with? Or do you think growing up around, you know, dads and granddads business and even though you didn't study it, you were just around it and you adopted it? Where do you think the skill set? was developed for you i think i th i think you're born with it but i think most of it is your personality and how you see things and you know sometimes i'm sure you all do it and everybody's guilty of it sitting around well you know a good idea would be this well what do you do with that good idea i mean how far do you take it um we we've developed some other and we'll get down the, the road further on it with, from the insurance arm of it entrepreneurial products that others aren't doing and and really neat unique things but i think in general you just from an entrepreneur standpoint standpoint it's it's what you learn it's what's in you it's do you want to do it or you not want to do it i mean everybody has an entrepreneurial bone in them but what do you do with it well, what funny, do you do with your our, idea? our guest last week actually looking back at a quote says the problem is that most of us have great ideas but never follow through correct yes to your point. I know, exactly. Now, this time, when you got that steady paycheck, did your job and responsibilities change? Were you moving up the ladder at that point? No, it just, it, it gave me the comfortable, put me in a comfortable position to know that I, my big whopping $18,000 a year, I knew that I could pay my bills. I knew exactly how much money was coming in. 
And I, we, um, there was a policy or a group back in the day called uh, the Maryland Precision Policy, Maryland Casualty, which is now Zurich, or foremost now. But they had a little green book, and it was a pilot book, and it listed every type of business that they write on this particular type of policy. So I took that book, and I drove up and down 17 and Savannah Highway and stopped in every single store that was in that book and asked them, could I quote their insurance? And I got a lot of traction over the first couple of weeks. And I said, well, I need to get a laptop. This is back when you had to plug into a mainframe. You'd have to plug into somebody's phone line back in their closet. And I would go in, for instance, Sofa Superstore. I walked in one afternoon and talked to Herb Goldstein and said, can I quote your insurance? And he said, sure. And he gave me his deck pages, his policies. I went in on that laptop and plugged it into his phone line and quoted away and looked at what his premiums were and said, well, I'm not quite inexpensive enough. So I'd put credits on there and then I'd say, Herb, is this premium okay? And he's absolutely. And I'd fax it right to his fax machine. And I did that in and out car wash, sofa superstore. Gosh, I can't even remember. But CT Lounge was number three in the United States in written policies with a precision policy. Beat out my dad's agency, Miami Insource. And uh, 95% of the business was mine. It was just knocking on doors, you know, and uh, the rest was history. Now, I think that, that, that the fearlessness of you goes a long way. It sounds like it does. It didn't have to be insurance. I'm getting the sense from you that no matter what industry you fell into, your fearlessness in making those cold calls, which mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like to do, won't do it. Right. I think that would have made you a success no matter what you decided the industry was. So I'm just I'm impressed with your yeah your your fearlessness. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. And I and I but add one step further. If you're a good salesperson, you believe in the commodity that you're selling, you're going to be successful. And as far as the cold calling goes, nobody does it anymore in the insurance business. In fact, we've talked in our office about let's find a carrier or two where we can go right into somebody's office like I did, quote the insurance right there, do it on your phone, your iPad, whatever, and try that again. Nobody does it. It's all let me call and who do I know and let me set up this meeting and everything gets lost in translation. If you're sitting in front of somebody, I don't care if they renew tomorrow or next year. Here's your premium compared to this. You're going to have a better close ratio. Yeah, and that shows that in the end of the day, when it comes to growing a business, there is no substitute for just good old-fashioned work Mm -hmm. and working hard. And I know as you went along in your career, uh, certainly you reached back into your experience in the food and beverage industry and found a niche there in the restaurant world. And talk mm-hmm. about how that parlayed you to another level um, as an account manager. Well, let's see. Well, a, a lot of a, a good many of the restaurants that I insure fall back on my old employee friends at Wild Wing that own restaurants here. Now, David Clark, Soul Restaurant, Wild Wing Cafe. I insure all the Mellow Mushrooms in Charleston. Um I insured 155 Pizza Huts at one point in time. I put into a captive. Uh, 55 Pizza Huts in Pittsburgh for the XCOO of Pizza Hut. Um, so I just, I got into the, I guess, the restaurant because the, the restaurant, insuring restaurants because I understood them. I understood the pitfalls. I understood where the problems were. And it also helped to know people that own them. Um, and... The restaurant business is very complex from an insurance perspective, and anybody can insure one, and any carrier will insure one, but there's there's so many pitfalls that aren't insured that somebody doesn't offer to them, which is their big, biggest exposure. Um, EPL, which is employer practices liability, wrongful termination, 
third-party harassment, sexual harassment. Yeah, it's all evolved. Yeah, I mean, these are these are coverages that you have to add that is a big exposure for a restaurant, and most of them don't have it. Now, before, unfortunately, we're about to run out of time, but okay. obviously the, the, the business or beyond the business is the name of our show, and it's all about the entrepreneurial spirit. And so mm-hmm. you obviously get to a point, even though you're successful and you're doing well and you've got a great group around you, in CT Lounge, the bug hits you about, I need to go do my own thing. The CT Lounge thing was, I, and it broke my heart, and it still bothers me, I would never get any ownership. And that's the old school Charleston Lowndes family, and that's fine. And, and I just, it wasn't that I was disgruntled there, but 10 years, you know, I was 45 years old. 10 years from now, I'm 55. Let's say that somebody at CT Lounge sells the agency to a bank. Well, what is my worth? I'm going to have to start over again. And John Jensen at Carell approached me, and it was, uh, it was a good deal. It was very, very tough for me to do it emotionally. Financially, it was a great deal. But, you know, that's, that's why I left CT Lounge. So when we come back next week, that's where we're going to pick off is pick up is where you jumped off the cliff of that and started a, a partnership and went into this deal with Corel. And we want to hear all about what you're doing with that. So uh, I know it goes by really fast, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jason Bessie, managing partner, Corel Insurance Group here in Charleston. Thank you for your story and your time today. And we will see you next Saturday. Thank you. And yes, we'll, we will see you next Saturday. But for now, please go to our Facebook page at Beyond the Business and talk to us on Twitter at BTBCHS. We can't wait to communicate. And in case you missed any of our shows earlier, simply go to our podcast at CoastalWM.com. Click on the radio icon and you can listen to, again, all of our shows over the last five years. Until next Saturday morning, Low Country at 730. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Tune in next Saturday morning at 7.30 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.